Welcome to Accounting High. And accountants hate change. That's the whole problem there. That's the whole crux of things is that there's no pain in what they're doing now. But once yeah. there's pain, that's when they'll start making that change and not until. And the pandemic was was pain. Everyone's like, no, maybe it does work because they were forced into that situation where they had to figure it out. And uh, that's going to happen sooner than later with, with chat GPT and AI. They're going to have to make some hard decisions pretty quickly. Yeah, you touched on some important points. The pains of the present for an accountant have to be greater than the perceived pains of change. May I have your attention, please? Welcome to Accounting High. Here, we have no rules in place as we're on a mission to set our own traditions. Whether you loved high school or you hated it, here's your chance to be a part of an unforgettable experience redone. So sit back, relax, and open your mind because class is in session. I repeat, may I have your attention please? This is another public service announcement brought to you in part by Accounting High. The views and events expressed here are of the next generation of accounting and tech professionals leading this space. The events and suggestions are not to be taken lightly. Children should not partake in the listening of this podcast. Anything else? Yeah. So without further ado, introducing the star of our show, Scotty and Jody. We're going to have a problem here. So class is in session and we have Mr. Grundon with us today teaching us how to wrap, how to run a practice in this new world. Jody, this is your first time on Accounting High, but second time on the show, right? Yeah, second time on the show and I love the intro. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, the first time you were on, we were sons of CPAs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, and was still is the most listened to episode I've, we've put out accounting high sons of CPAs all together. It was the model cloud accounting firm. The model is on how to run a practice, how to run an accounting firm in the cloud era. I don't think your firm's in a cloud accounting firm and your firm has changed drastically since is evolved since so both of us have evolved i've evolved the show Mm -hmm. you've evolved your firm Mm -hmm. and before we get into too many details i wanted to start out with the hawaiian shirts and (laughs) your style because i don't think we talked about that last time uh, when you were on the show and for any listener you should go back and listen to that if you haven't listened to it yet the model cloud accounting firm it's in our backlog it's on the on the show but we didn't talk about the hawaiian shirts and it's a very interesting origin story so I'd, I'd love to hear it. First, tell us, how many Hawaiian shirts do you have? Oh, you have to, you have to ask that question because my wife ever listens to this, I'm in trouble. <laughs> um, I probably have close to 100 Hawaiian shirts right now. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's an addiction. It's an addiction. <laughs> of course it is, but it's fun and it's different. And when you think accountant, everybody always thinks, you know, buttoned up, especially in, in the era that we grew up in, or, mm-hmm. you know, it's a hundred percent. You started doing your firm differently and that's what stood out. That's what I loved about it. The cartoon images. We talked about that on the website, everything that you led with was fun. 
but the origin story for the Hawaiian shirts. Let's hear that. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It's it's kind of funny because back in 2013, we were thinking about going remote, and we actually it, it was probably 2012 ish, and we attended a, a conference, a fully remote conference in uh, California, and. At that time, we were squeaking by, not super profitable. We're trying to figure this thing out and, and just trying to figure out not only the CFO side, but trying to figure out how, if this remote thing you know, is, is going to be something we want to go forward with. And, and uh, you know, with that, learned a ton from there. There was the top, you know, actually the first probably 25, 30 companies in the world that went remote were in, this, in the room together. And, and we were dabbling in it. We had one, one, one employee that was remote and we we're trying to figure this all out. And, and you know, one of the people at the conference was a, a gentleman that ran basically conferences for business owners. And he uh, saw me. And he's like, you know, hey, Jody, have you ever spoke in front of people before? I'm like, yeah, I used to sell knives. You know, I, I did that for a little bit. <laughs> but, and, and spoke in front of thousands of people at the time. You know, it was one of those type of deals. And I'm like, yeah, I'd be happy to. And, and you know, so he's like, hey, great. Uh, we're going to New Orleans. I'd love to have you there in, in two weeks. Would you be able to attend? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So the backstory is that, you know, of course, we had hardly any money at the time because they're squeaking by, just making payroll, doing all that, doing all the stuff that a lot of folks right now are experiencing, you know, in the model, if not priced correctly. And, and uh, you know, with that, I had to go tell my wife, you know, hey, honey, I know I didn't take you to San Diego, but now I'm going to New Orleans. Are you okay with it? And she's like, yeah, go ahead. So, so I'm, you know, I'm getting ready for New Orleans. And at that time, I pulled my muscle on my back. And if you ever pulled a muscle in your back, man, it, it's painful being on an airplane. And uh, so I'm, I'm fighting this real pain. And I'm supposed to give this presentation to these 30 owners. And I hadn't, you know, it, they said, don't do it on a PowerPoint or anything like that. They be real and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, what am I going to tell these people? And so the whole time my, my concentration was, hey, I got to get through this back pain. So I get to get to New Orleans and my luggage doesn't uh, follow me. It doesn't show up. So I'm like, okay, great. What do I do? And so I get to the hotel, which Luckily, the hotel is right across from a basically a, a fashion mall, you know, where they where the, where, the, where the cruise ships come in. And I, I walked over there, super painful. The first thing I got was a bottle of water and and some leave, you know, for the pain, and drank that down real quick. Paid for that. Then I got a charger from my phone, got grabbed that, paid for that. And then I'm like, okay, now I got to find some clothes because I got two days with, you know, with with these owners of, you know, what, what am I going to do? And he wants me to be different and all this kind of stuff. And so I'm like. Well, there's a Tommy Bahama right across there. I got, I had at that time I had like maybe one or two Hawaiian shirts. I loved them, but I just didn't, you know, just didn't wear them. And maybe thought, on vacation, you know, maybe yeah. going on a cruise or something. Yeah, you think? Yeah, exactly. And and so I thought, you know, I'll, I'll go over there and see what they've got. And so I, I go over there and and I'm like, oh, these are pretty cool. And then I look at the price tag. And it's like, oh, these are pretty expensive. They're like 150 bucks a shirt. I'm like, oh, sure. my wife is going to love me after this trip. And, and so I bought two of them. And I bought some shorts, you know, I had to I basically bought the outfit because I had to have something to wear. And so I, I bought it and I went up to pay for it and the uh, credit card got denied. I was, oh, I was like, oh, this is not good. So I pulled out my other credit card, went through no problem with, OK, well, that was weird. And so then I went to uh, right next door, just happening right next door. There's a shoe store. And this guy helped me pick out the shoes that goes, you know, to go with the different Tommy Obama stuff. So I was really going to be direct, you know, decked out here. And I got the shoes, went to pay for it with my second card and. It got denied. I'm like, what? What's going on? So I got my debit card out because I got plenty of credit. That wasn't an issue. And I got my debit card out. I'm like, okay, I got money in the account. That should be a problem. And went through no problem. And so I didn't think about it. And then I went to, uh, we had a a pre-dinner with all the different companies there. And it was kind of like a a kickoff dinner. And 
being the, the new guy in there, I thought, you know, hey, this would be kind of cool if I just picked up the appetizers and stuff. And so I did. I picked up all the, the appetizers, which were like, you know, all this really cool, uh, real cool stuff. A lot of seafood. And, um, and I, I'm, this is great. I'm having a great time, you know, talking to people I don't know and all this kind of stuff. And, and I go to pay for it with my debit card. And guess what? Oh, the debit card now. Debit card denied. doesn't work now. So I'm like, oh great! So here I'm the finance guy, and I'm I'm going to be talking first thing in the morning, and I you know everything got denied. Turn to the guy to the right and say, you know, hey, do you mind if you pick up my meal and the appetizers? I promise I'll be back tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> he's like he's like, what's going on? He told me, well, you probably don't travel much. It was the fraud protection thing. All my cards were getting you know stopped with fraud protection. So so basically, what I did is I went back to the room, I called them all up, got them all released, went down to the ATM, got cash for everything, paid him first thing in the morning. And then I started my presentation. First thing, I was kickoff presentation. And I was so flustered, I really didn't know what to do. And, and I still hadn't you know, had the concept of what I'm going to do. So I was ill-prepared going into this thing. And I, I started off with a story. You know, hey, here's what happened. Apologized for the Hawaiian shirt and just went through. Everybody laughed, had a great, had a great time. And then I got the easel board out. And I thought, you know, I'm going to show, show people how to be profitable. And, and so I, I broke out on stick figures and I can't calculate in my head. So I had somebody be my calculator for me. And we're going through the presentation. And I go, here's one here's what one person should generate hours and average bill rate. And I was going through and I build a team. I go, one person should generate about $200,000 in revenue. And I go, and if you break that out between, you know, 17 people on the team, it should be about a $3 million firm. And everybody's like, wow, this it's like magic. You know, what, I, I can't believe you guys just did this right in front of us here. And I go, you know, how, how, how many people can increase their prices by $10 and not lose a client? Then I went 20, then I went 30. We, 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 we kind of scaled back and I go, well, hey, I'm, I'm just going to do it by 10 bucks. And so I go, let's increase by 10 bucks because I tell everybody, to start off with, you have to have at least 10% of your annualized revenue in the bank, which a $3 million firm that's 300 grand, they're like, oh, there's no way I don't have that kind of cash and can't do that. And, and so then I, I did the math again. It was like, miraculously, it came out to $350,000. If you just uh. increase it by $10, $10, I'm like, like, oh my gosh, you know, you're magic, you know? And, and I, I thought this was kind of cool. The whole time I'm thinking, I failed. You know, I, I'm, I came here, I'm in a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> you know, this is a disaster. Everybody's loving it. Twitter just went wild with it. And the guy's like, I, I apologize. I go, hey, I'm so sorry. He goes, oh, that was the best presentation ever. And I'm like, oh, that, well, that was cool. And I, and I go, he goes, can you do it again? I'm like, well, yeah, I can do it again. You know, when, when, when do you want me to do it? He goes, in two weeks in Chicago. I'm like, oh, well, I lived in Fort Wayne at the time. I was like, perfect. I can drive to Chicago. My wife's not going to care about that. And so I went home. I brought. I, I always bring one other person with me when I do my speeches. Sure. A lot of times, and and I, we we decked out this town. I, I I got embroidered shirts, golf shirts with the company logo on the sleeve, uh-huh. and I had nice dockers. I was ready to go this time. And I show up at this conference, and and he meets me at the hotel. He's like, "Dude, what are you doing?" I go, "What do you mean? What am I doing?" He goes, "He goes, well, where's the Hawaiian shirt?" And I go. What do you mean, I, Hawaiian shirt? He goes, well, that's what set you apart from everybody else. I'm like, I'm like, gosh, I didn't even, it, it didn't even dawn on me. Here, here, I'm, here I'm scrambling, and I thought, okay, fine. So I went down to the uh, was the Miracle Mile in Chicago there, bought some Hawaiian shirts to Tommy Bahama, and then uh, I did the presentation. And from there on, it's like I've been wearing, wearing Hawaiian shirts ever since. And it, it's just one of those freak instances that people just know me now. Anytime I go to one of the conferences. They know me because of the white. They can pick me out in the crowd pretty easily. Whether it's a an accounting conference or whether it's a um, you know an industry industry type conference, they, they always know who who I am by what I'm wearing. So it was, it was a way to personal brand myself to really kind of stick it out. And and 
you know, dang, Scotty, you, you got the same same story. We're just what, in Italy, and, and same thing happened to you. It wasn't even Italy, but very, very similar story. But the more, oh, well, so I don't know if I should even tell tell mine too. But it, well, I'll, I'll tell a very brief version of mine. I think the moral of it, though, I'll get to. But the for me, I was flying. It was a it was a conference or a a, a gathering for accounting salon. And I'm flying to Atlanta so we can drive to Seaside, Florida. And I had my luggage and everything. And I'm a terrible packer. I hate packing. Mm-hmm. I hate planning on the trip, planning what I'm going to wear. It's the worst experience for me. And it happens every single time. I've been traveling a lot now. And so I fly in and I'm about to get on the plane. And they tell me that I need to check my bag because there's no room on the overhead bins. So check my bag in Raleigh, North Carolina, less than an hour flight to Atlanta. And they check the bag and I get to Atlanta. Buddy's picking me up. Kenji Kuramoto, you know him. A lot of our audience knows him. He's picking me up and we're at, we're waiting for the bags and my bag's not there. And (laughs) admittedly I got there late because I like to walk. So I don't take the trains in the Atlanta airport. And so I walked from like, I probably walked two or three miles just underneath because I like the I like the museum. It's sort of yeah, like a museum yeah. to me. Yeah, so yeah. probably my bag was stolen. I don't know, but I say Delta lost my luggage because they did. It was it never showed up, and I had to. We were driving, to, so then we the next day we drove and we stopped at a Bucky's on the way. And if anybody has ever heard of Bucky's, it's amazing. This is like a. I don't know. It's like a Walmart, but a gas station. And, you know, it's like tacky, but I was I had to get an outfit. So I went the most, the tackiest thing I could find. <laughs> and uh, ironically, it made it good because it was Bucky's and because it was tacky, it turned into like a fashionable type thing too. And people loved it. It was like a Hawaiian Bucky shirt with a bunch of like little cartoon, the Bucky beaver Mm-hmm. And everything, and I bought a few other things too. But I bought my whole wardrobe at Bucky's. So <laughs> this was with all accountants, and typically I'm wearing like hip hop type stuff. So I'm already like different in a way. But now I'm adding this layer of Hawaiian shirts too. So then the next trip, Italy, and and meanwhile I'm also recording rap videos too. So that became the centerpiece of the video was me with these different Hawaiian shirts. I bought two of them. One was Star Wars, like mm-hmm. Star Wars theme. The other one was Bucky's. And that became part of the music video, too. So that was my first, second music video I ever recorded. And I'm wearing Hawaiian shirts. And then we go to Italy. And this was for Expensify. You were there. And it was amazing. Mm -hmm. And I kind of, in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, now I'm going to record music videos where I travel. And I'm going to pack less. So I'm going to stress less about my packing because I'm going to buy a shirt for the video at the next trip. And at our resort, there was a shirt that just fit perfectly with the theme Italy mm-hmm. all of it you saw the shirt and oh, yeah, it also right. fit our badges too like the my name badge was the same color as the shirt it was crazy so I used that for my video and then the next trip which I was with you again on mm-hmm. it was in Vegas at AICP Engage filming another music video Yep, and you helped me pick out my next round of shirts because again I didn't pack because I knew I was going to be doing a video and I wanted something different for the video. And you helped me pick out this 
tell like we went to this store. I never heard of it before, but it's at the it's the same one. If anybody's ever been to AICP Engage, when you go to the escalators, the one with what's his name, Frank Sinatra, like his arrested photos are all there in different colors, mm-hmm. and it's like a very colorful store. Mezu, I think it. I don't know how to pronounce it. Could be, they, yeah. They had the nicest shirts there, so I'm not a Tommy Bahama guy, but I'm I'm gonna go there every time we go to Vegas and probably get a different shirt there. But I think the moral of all of this is mm-hmm. was. You just were being yourself, and that's what people were attracted to. And mm-hmm. you were different by happenstance because of something else that happened. But you were, you know, you were the one who picked out that shirt, and you were like, "I'm just going to do something different." And that's sort of what. And you were. This was in 2012 mm-hmm. on the onset of the cloud, and mm-hmm. those were early, early cloud adopters and early, yep. early remote firm adopters. Was those early, those early two that 2010s, 2012. Yep those years so you're already doing things differently and you've already got a good way about you way to tell stories and that's what people were attracted to so then when you show up in your polo shirts it's like (laughs) everybody else has polo shirts everybody's wearing that you know so that's exactly right (laughs) and i don't know were you did that excite you was that this like oh wow this is a whole new look and a whole new frontier for me now oh 100 yeah 100 as soon as soon as he said that it was like the, the light bulb went, you know, and it was like, yeah. it was one of those things that was like, wow, this is cool. And I, I'm not, I'm not differing from this no matter what. And it was kind of funny because I um, got invited. And at that point I didn't attend a whole lot of, you know, accounting conferences. I, I kind of shied away from those because again, I was so different. People really didn't accept what I was. <sighs> I know that feeling. Yeah. Uh, and, and I got invited. I, I won a, an award in 2000. I think it was 17 for innovation award for Indiana. And then I then I got for the Indiana CPA Society. And then the AICPA nominated me for their DCPA innovation award. And I thought oh, this is kind of cool. And and they're like, hey, you're you're invited. I want you to come in, you know, to the to the DCPA conference. And I'm like, well, I'll do it, but I'm not going to. You know, oh, they said make sure you dress professionally. And I go, <laughs> I go, well, I'll do it, but I'm going to wear a Hawaiian shirt. You okay with that? And they're like, you being serious? I go, well, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Like, well, let me let me find out. And so then they got back to me and they said, yeah, they'll let you wear a Hawaiian shirt. Just make sure you're professionally dressed. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, what does that even mean after they say Hawaiian shirt? It's like, just make sure you're, just make sure it's buttoned up. Maybe. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Make sure it's professional. And that's, but that's also become the differentiator. And it's also become something that people are attracted to now because it's different. And I think you don't start learning that until you actually start breaking the mold. It happened to me the first time I realized it was an advantage was when I was at Carbon Carbon X. This was last year, about a year ago in Lake Tahoe. And I was wearing just like my hip hop hats. I wear a hat backwards or I'll just, I'll wear a hat yep. in a room where nobody's wearing hats. Like everybody was, people had suits on and stuff. And and I got invited on stage and we were, we did like a live podcast with Stu and um, somebody else at Carbon. And afterwards, somebody came up to me and said, they were wearing a hat. And he was like, I saw you there wearing your hat. And I went up to my room and I went and grabbed mine because I didn't bring it down. He's like, I didn't wear it. I didn't bring it down here because I didn't think we were supposed to or allowed to. But then when I saw you wearing yours and that was like, that was a big moment for me when I realized like, okay. Like it's actually attracting people and people take to this stuff. So now I'm just going to lean in. And now I have a whole wardrobe of polo shirts that I'm probably never going to really wear again. <laughs> Maybe if I play golf, cause you have to at golf, but even, even so golf, I could probably wear a Hawaiian shirt. And yep. So I'm going to replace 
all of my polos with Hawaiians, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take over the world with our Hawaiian shirts here. Yeah, dude, dude. Same thing happened to me when I was in engaged speaking. You know, someone came up to me, and goes, "Man, I didn't realize I could dress down." I'm like, "Well, yeah, why 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 not?" <laughs> it's just <laughs> and, uh, dressing now. I don't even yeah. think there's dressing up or down. I think we're blurring the lines between work and home. That's one of the lines in the Expensify rap. Blur the lines between work and home. Yep, and. It, and you've successfully been doing it, but you were, you were, this is scary. Like what you did with your firm and what you talked about on your last episode, you know, you're changing the mold and you're breaking the mold and you're doing things the way you saw logically fit. You saw people doing it that way in other industries mm-hmm. and other practices. And yep. you apply that to accounting and to a practice to your accounting firm, which was summit CPAs and still, you still use that name. Mm-hmm. But some big things have happened since your episode, which is also, you know, new news, mm-hmm. relatively new news. Um, yep. None of this was happening before, but your firm, which was very successful, you were running, you were at like, you know, 11 million, 12 million, somewhere around there mm-hmm. um, and very profitable. Tell me, tell me what happened after our recording. Yeah. Our yeah. Listeners. So this was, this was back in 2000, October, 2021 is when. Things started happening. I think we did a recording in January of 2022, so I was under pretty strict NDA, so I couldn't really t- talk a whole lot about it. But you know, within that six-month period, we uh, went from not having any interest in merging or selling our company. Why would we? We're making, you know, we're making seven figure. You know, my partner and I make both making seven-figure, you know, salary numbers. We're hugely profitable. On top of that, revenue is doubling every three years, and we. We just hit the ten million dollar mark, you know. So, so like, why would we want to? And uh, this firm out of uh, St. Louis called Anders CPA Advisors approached us, and and they talked to us, and they gave us an opportunity, an offer that we just really couldn't refuse. And it was just one of those things that you know that the question was, you know, hey, you're doubling your size. That means in a few years you're going to be twenty million. Would you be interested in being fifty million? And we're like, well, well yeah, that'd be kind of cool. I go, well, we can help you get there, you know, with the with the back with the backing of a bigger firm, and so we thought, okay, well, that 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 might be a great thing, but I, I don't want to lose, I don't want to get there and not, you know, make any money from from that. I mean, I want that one to be a win win for everybody, and they said, well, come back with uh, a way we can do that, and so I thought, okay, well, I put pencil and paper together, and I said, well, here are my five different things. I went through them with each one. I I figured one one of these are going to say no, and like like every other CPA firm out there said no, and. And, uh, you know, with that, they're like, yep, we can do that. We can do that. We can do that. Yep, absolutely. I'm like, seriously? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let me go back to the drawing board here and, and rephrase all that again. <laughs> well, you know, so there's a lot to unpack, but the, the biggest, I mean, the biggest thing here was, you know, you, again, you're doing things different than any other firm and you're showing a lot of success. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I don't know if we've ever, it is unprecedented what, did happen with you was a larger firm is now acquiring yours. And I think it may have happened. It may be a, a bit similar to what happened with Bruce Phillips and Aprio. But what what we're seeing here is a larger, you know, mid, would, would you say mid market? What would, would, would you say the size they're, of? They're a top 100 firm. They're probably top 100 firm fish in the, in the world. Yep. Yeah. So top 100 firm is coming and acquiring a, you know, next to them, a smaller firm to change from within. I mean, did, what did they see? What was their biggest attraction to what you were doing? What was, uh, why did they, they yeah. Man, there were several of them. One, they were looking for a, a CFO practice that was profitable because there's yeah. a lot of them out there that are, 
that are revenue driven and they're just building revenue and they're not building profits. And we were at about a 25% margin. So they were real excited about that. So we were running a, something that was growing at high speed and super profitable, which really helped out. Uh, they were looking for a firm that actually had been successful at a remote environment because they knew going forward that uh, remote was here to stay. You know, it was one of those things that wasn't going away. And so they wanted that remote environment. Hey, this firm can actually work remotely. And then they wanted they wanted that virtual CFO concept. You know, that's the main thing we focused on. Ninety percent of our revenue uh, was virtual CFO services. You know, how to provide those to clients. And again, they looked at that as the future. They looked at tax not as something that's going to be here for a little while, but they really saw the future in accounting being in the advisory side. And that's not just the CAS 1.0 stuff where you're paying bills and doing that kind of thing. It's a true advisory. You're meeting with clients on a regular basis, being part of the weekly meetings, helping them plan, helping them model different situations, forecasting, KPIs, all that kind of stuff is what they really drove. Them. So we had those three factors that was really solid. Then the last one, they, they're like, you know, hey, how's your employer retention? And it was super high. And so they're like, well, how, you know, so it's like, wow, you're, you're accomplishing all these goals, high employer retention, high customer retention, and, and you're, you're profitable. So the, it, it just was a, a win-win for them for sure. And, you know, when, when, they, when we came aboard, you know, they said, you know what, you know, one of the big things I, I told them is I, I don't want to be merged into the firm. I want to be my separate entity. So I'll, I'll be, I'm merged, te- technically merged into it. But we're actually our own service line. And so my marketing is still intact. You know, HR is still intact. Everything is still intact as a service line, which is completely different than they've ever done with any other firm. Usually they just absorb them and absorb the clients and you know, mix people yeah. up. Well, when here, you know, I, I, I told them in order for us to grow and keep growing because our flywheel is turning super fast that we have to stay together. They're perfectly fine with it, which that was a big hiccup for a lot of the firms. You know, a lot of the bigger firms called, even bigger than that, called them like, you know, hey, that's 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 a requirement. And uh, none of them wanted to do that. The other thing was, is that, you know, they were a St. Louis based firm, even though they're, you know, top 100 in the nation, most of their concentration was in St. Louis. And we were the opposite. We were totally national. And a lot of times we have basically North America, Canada and U.S. and a few other places. And and with that, that was a difference for them too. You know, hey, can we expand without having a footprint? Can we do what, what Summit has been doing and, you know, become a national firm without having locations in New York and all these different places? And so it was another way that they could actually expand without you know, spending a lot of capital and, and putting uh, feet on the ground in different areas. Well, that's, and I think that's one of the biggest changes in the way firms are run now is you have industry verticals. And mm-hmm. before you may have had industry specialization, but the only real vertical that a lot of larger firms had was geography. Right. There, there, it was a geography niche. It was, they niched in St. Louis and yep. that vertical. And so they have their footprint but what you've shown is, and what firms are doing now, and what people are adopting now is finding that industry specialization because that's what allows you to do the advisory. That's what allows you to do, to have higher margins and to go deeper with clients and to get more focused. And that your footprint then becomes, for you, it was marketing agencies. Mm-hmm. That's our footprint in the U.S. And we're going to do everything around that. The compliance is more of an afterthought almost. It's something that has to be done and it still can be very profitable, but it becomes part of the whole, you know, service flywheel that you're offering. And it's proving to be very powerful with the remote age and with the digital age. You're everywhere. 
Yeah, hundred percent. Because I mean, it's thirty percent of the clients that we do serve, do work for, we do the accounting for. We'll do the pay. We'll do the transactional stuff, right? But ninety percent, we're actually doing the CFO stuff, and so. You know, it's a third of our clients were doing the back office stuff with the CAS 1.0. Sure. The rest of it we're doing, you know, advisory, which is a big niche, right? That's a niche in itself. And we've been doing the what they call CAS 2.0 since 2004. So we've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. And it's just becoming something that firms are starting to adopt and they're, they're, and they're really starting to try to figure out how to scale it because that's a big part of it. You know, they can do it, but they can't figure out how to, how to scale and we've, we've been doing that, you know, like I said, successfully for a long time. And with that, so we've actually niched a vertical, you know, a, a I guess a horizontal, what are you going to call it, sure. CFO side. And then we then we attacked the creative agency side, and then 60% of our clients are in that space. And so we went both service and industry, and that's when we actually started seeing growth just blow up. And uh, that's one of the things that Anders saw when, when they did it. You know, they're like, you know, hey, do you think you can repeat this model with other industries? I'm like... Well, absolutely. You know, we just need to get thought leaders in those industries and we can go to town on them. And uh, so that's that's kind of the, the idea, because what Anders wanted us to do is do a 10x, go from 10 million or 5x, go from 10 million to 50 million by 2026, just in the virtual CFO service line. And right now we're, we're, t- we're on pace to doing it. We're almost going to hit about 15 million this year and 20 million and then it just con- continues on. But we're pacing that because we're looking at potentially not only bringing in clients outside of our vertical, which we've always done, just we just never market to it, right? Sure. But now we're going to start marketing towards other verticals and, and, and rinse and repeat the entire process. It's got to be exciting oh, for I'm you. Super- like the sky's the limit here. And what Anders has provided you was resources. And now you have a foundation of clients too. So because they are a very large firm, once you decide what's the next what's the next vertical and the next industry, then you take that collection of clients and start working with them too and start yep. collecting them into another maybe subset of Anders where it's another version of Summit and it's like building out bubbles of different or pods or whatever you want to call it of firms within the firm. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's kind of like building, like I said, those pods and creating entrepreneurs with inside each pod. You know, as we have different pod leaders, one ahead of the creative agencies, we're going to have one ahead of cannabis, one ahead of trucking logistics, law. And, and as we continue to build these different things, we'll have entrepreneurs running those different pods to make sure that they're out there beating the beating the drum on, hey, here's how a cannabis company, you know, successfully, you know, it becomes successful, earns profits. You know, here's what we need to look for. Here are the risks and so forth. Law the same way in the other verticals. And so, yeah, so it's exactly what you said. So the it's exciting for me because it gives me the opportunity to actually really kind of train up thought leaders in different industries to really take the reins like we did with the creative agency space. Oh, that is so dope. It's a whole like it's a whole new frontier too for a lot of these firms and they can learn from this and this is the model. This is why we're right in the book how to rap, how to run a practice because mm-hmm. rapping is different than map. You know, map was are you familiar with map? No, go manage, for it. Manage an accounting practice. Like okay. that's or Manning to practice. I don't know. Ron Baker told me about it and it's apparently really big in the accounting space. Okay. Running a practice or managing a practice was the way that was taught. Like this is, this is the way that's probably how Anders learned how to manage their practice. That's, that was what was done. And then the whole idea of running a practice is in the cloud era. It's all different. Like there's foundationally certain things that are the same, the way you do the compliance and all of that, but you've added several different layers or different aspects and it starts with that whole 2.0 that you've already been doing. So for any for the listeners who 
who hear CAS, CAS 2.0, you know, count, client accounting services was the 1.0, and it's like the back office, the bill pay, the other things, connecting apps, but the advisory, which we've all been hearing about, it practically speaking, you talked about how you guys did it on the first episode, the CFO work, but what it really is, helping business owners throughout their journey of running a business and helping them become better business owners, make better financial decisions, and giving them the tools that they need to be able to make those decisions and using the stuff that we do as accountants to then look forward and make decisions, better decision-making. 100%, Scott. And, 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 the, and all the bigger companies have CFOs on staff or have level of people that we, ha- we have on our team. It, it's a small business, the million-dollar to $20 million business range that they, they just can't afford it yet. They have, they've not figured it out yet. And that's where that's where the CFO market's huge. And CFOs can come in and, and really sit alongside those folks on a weekly meeting and go through and help them with the forecasting, the financials, the pipeline, all the different areas, revenue rack, you, you name it, the different areas to really kind of sit beside them, really kind of help them make decisions. Because again, you know, they, they've got the business to a certain point and, and it's it really our job as CFOs to help them, not do it for them, but help them get it to the next point. You know, again, the CEO is always the full, has a full responsibility to the financials, but we, we guide them and really kind of help them uh, see the direction, see the path. And what you did very successfully that most, uh, I don't know if too many people that have been able to do this is you, you kind of productized it Mm-hmm. And you turned it into a system that was repeatable that you could take, and correct me if I'm wrong, you could take accountants and make them better CFOs. Yeah, right? yeah. I would say not everyone, not every accountant is made to be an advisor. I make that super clear because, sure. you know, we went to that, we went to that thinking that, oh, we're going to train every accountant we have. That's just going to be the path. They're going to, mm-hmm. they're going to want to eventually be that CFO. Then we start having people drop out or they would start it and they wouldn't. They would, they'd find another job or whatever. It's like, well, not everybody wants to be that advisor. So we have to be really careful not to say that, hey, that's everybody's path. But, you know, with that, if, if the individual wants to be that advisor, wants to get out of the, the, the daily grind, which I would say maybe only 20% of the accountants out there want to get out of that daily grind. They love that daily grind. I can't stand it personally, but they love it. And, and hats off to them. But for that 20% that wants to go there, then creating that path for them to do that. You know, sitting alongside meetings and watching, you know, us, you know, speak with clients. That was a big part of it. You know, just kind of showing them how to talk to clients. I mean, for most people, they just don't understand. They never had that real experience. And, and uh, you know, as they've gotten eight, nine, ten years of experience as an accountant, you know, they, they start, you know, they start wanting to be that advisor. Some of them do, some of them don't. We've got, we've got, a, we've got accountants on our team that have been with us for eight, nine years that said, Jody, if you ever put me as a CFO, I'll quit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, that's cool. You'll never be asked well, again. <laughs> that's really important part of this too, because we used to say like, it's those unicorns or the people that are one in 10 is what we, what I thought it was. You know, you, you said be, maybe yeah. two, two out of 10, mm-hmm. but uh, 20%, but those are the highly ambitious uh, accounts. Those are the ones that are great at interfacing with clients out yep. the gate. They can talk to anybody. They're, they're typically people that you could say, oh, maybe you can get into sales too. You know, you're, they're great with anybody in the room. And once you notice that, one thing I also realized with those types of people though, is they're highly ambitious mm-hmm. and it's hard to contain that too, because then they get to a certain level where then they feel like they could go out, do it on their own. Mm-hmm. So have you run into that? We talked about this on David Barrett's episode, because mm-hmm. those are the types of people he hires. And mm-hmm. how do you align that ambition with 
the firm and how do you help fuel that without them outgrowing you? Yeah, no, that's a great, great question. You know, again, you're going to have a certain percentage of folks that no matter what you do, they're going to outgrow you. And, and that's just life, you know, so, so you, you can't keep everybody, you can't keep 100%. But what you want, what we want to try to do is we want to try to create that entrepreneur spirit because you're talking about entrepreneurs what you're doing yeah. trapped inside an accountant's body is what is what it comes out to be right and so we're looking at that entrepreneur and so what are, what do entrepreneurs like to do they like to be rewarded for their efforts time and, and you know they're putting into things they like to figure things out improve processes entrepreneurs love to do a lot of this stuff so we had to create an incentive program that, that allowed them to be compensated fairly for. The amount of work that they're, you know, that they're actually managing and overseeing, and so, you know, our CFOs will make, you know, on the start they'll make about 135 without any clients at all. We'll supply the clients to them and and build it up. But our our top end CFOs they'll make over 250 thousand dollars, you know, and with that makes it super tough then for them to break away and say, you know, hey, I'm going to give up this really great job that I love doing because I'm meeting with all these entrepreneurs and I'm talking at my, my, my days different all the time sure. you know, that they love to take that risk and say, I'm going to throw it all away and start over. It's really tough for them to do. So we want to make it tough for them to make that decision to leave. You know, and, and, that, and that's a good thing, right? That's, you know, we want to make it so they love to come to work. And uh, we find that with you know, 80, 90% of our CFOs love to come to work. And again, you have got maybe five or 10% that is just a struggle for them and they can't do it. And maybe it's a wrong the, the wrong wrong level maybe you got them in the wrong bucket maybe you need to put them back over in the accounting side so you've got you've got a couple different avenues for, for folks to, to make sure they stay with you yeah it's so important to keep them motivated and you know and that that begs the other question too with remote work that a lot of firms and people are running into is how do you keep morale up how do you keep them mm-hmm. engaged and excited or just you know overall morale in mm-hmm. remote firms has been tough to keep up because you don't have that sense of camaraderie or you don't have as much of it and you don't right. have that office that collect the collective for everybody to go to that one central location well it, it, it's, it's a, there's a simple formula there it, it's you know you're right if if you decide you're going to do a remote office or your some of your team's going to be remote and you never have them in the office never have them never where they can actually physically touch hang out with somebody grab a beer coffee whatever you're going to lose them we find that about six months they start losing you know, connectivity with the folks in the firm. And so we purposely have two retreats a year. You know, one retreat we, we actually have are, are having in St. Louis since that's where the mothership's at. And there's another 300 you know, folks there in addition to our 75 that's on the CFO team where they get a chance to actually hang out. And and, and it, it's not a, a workshop-y type of thing. And we'll have a workshop here and there, but it's more soft skills. Hey, here's how to deal with difficult conversations. Here's how to deal with different types of people. You know, we'll, we'll go through disc assessments. We'll go through working genius, all the different stuff there it, to make it make it fun and enjoyable for them when, when they're there. And I'll tell you, the, the team really looks forward to it. And so we have one in St. Louis, again, you know, with everyone else. And, uh, you know, they just love hanging out with each other till 1 in the morning. We always start, like, at 11 o'clock that way. If they want to get things done in the morning or they want to stay out late, they can do that. But yeah. and that's where the camaraderie builds, right? And then uh, we have one in addition to that, just somewhere different. And so, like, we went to Scottsdale, we went to Indianapolis. We've done all different you know, New Orleans. We've done, you know, Vegas, you name it, New York City. We've done different locations where we can actually, you know, get everybody together and just kind of do the same thing, but in a different location outside of St. Louis or outside of a, 
an area where they're at. And so, again, it, it's an enjoyable experience for them where they can let their you know, collars down a little bit. It's very informal. <laughs> Unbutton their uh, Hawaiian yeah, shirts. They're, yeah, they're not wearing Dockers and stuff when they're there. You know, all, all that kind of stuff, you know, it, it's out the window. And they, they, like I said, they just enjoy hanging around each other. And that's where they really vibe in. And, and we see, again, it's a six-month cycle. Every six months, we, we need to spend the money to actually do that. And so, you know, a lot of folks are like, well, I'm going to spend a lot of money and not because I'm not going to have, you know, brick and mortar anymore. I'm not going to have facility costs. Well, wrong. You really do have that same dollar amount. You're just allocating it now to your team and doing these retreats. And so, you know, we're going to spend roughly $3,000 a person bringing these folks to a retreat for Wednesday to Friday conference. And, you know, again, it's money well we're spent. That's why our attention is very high and, and stays high because of the, I, I think, because of the retreats. But also, it really helps that friendship, right? Because one, one of the biggest things that people leave is they don't have a friend. Well, it's hard to have a friend when you're fully remote. But, it, you know, you and I can hang out in, in, in Las Vegas. Sky, look at you as a friend. Yeah. I probably wouldn't have looked at you as a friend if we hadn't done that, you know, just yeah. because. Well, Italy started that, right? Italy, yeah. And Italy. our wives were hanging out too. So they became Absolutely. friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so that's what happens, and that's what has to happen if you're going to do a remote environment. Yeah, well, it affords you that space, and relaxation is where the real conversations happen. Like, mm-hmm. in those moments of relaxation and where you're hanging out, that's where real conversations can happen, and that's where real bonding happens, and mm-hmm. that only happens when you have that space, and that's what an office provides. Mm-hmm. You know, you always have that water cooler area. But it's not the same when you're just Zoom meetings. You know, there yep. is no space to talk because everybody's waiting to get off the meeting to go do the next thing. And so this is great. And you provided some practical cost numbers too. So for a 10 person team, you're looking at least 30K mm-hmm. for a trip or retreat like this. So look at all the money you might be saving in rent that's going to be repurposed to a concentrated event that could have longevity too. And maybe you don't know, maybe you don't have to spend three grand a person, but roughly that's probably what it's going to be all in all, if you're going to do something special. Yeah. I think it's important also that not, not to think that you've got to bring everybody to uh, a brick and mortar location. Like if you're based out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, you got to bring everybody to Fort Wayne because you're going to save all that money. The problem you find out there is you get folks coming in town, they're they were ready to hang out, but the people that are in Fort Wayne, mm, they they're going home. home. They're going home. Yeah, and you don't have that connectivity again. The exact thing you're looking for, you, you you find out that it's not there, and so that's why it's important to have that away, you know, from location, you know, at Fort Lauderdale or somewhere you can actually bring folks to. One travel tip is make sure that if you do find that location, it's got a centralized hub that it's easy for uh, you know air, air, airplanes to get in and out because that's going to be one of your biggest. Expensive uh, in Florida, so, yeah. Whether you're spending, yeah, six hundred bucks on a flight or fifteen hundred dollars on a flight, uh, big difference there in price. Yeah, that oh, that definitely makes a huge difference in travel, and people won't be losing bags because they don't have to go to Atlanta <laughs> exactly. to drive to Seaside, exactly. Florida, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and and also like you could. So what I've what I've done is with I've taken the team to conferences, so I've yeah. taken something that's already happening, yep. and then poured on top of that. So I have been doing that since we started going to zero cons. And so I'll take the team and different people go each time, but that's always some of the best experiences that they've had because then they get to meet others in the profession too. And other, and they also get to meet a lot of the tech partners. So doing something like that, if you can't afford to just rent out a whole place, you know, you're going to, you can already have an event. You just pay for the event tickets 
for everybody. And that's and, and be creative with it. That's awesome. Create being way to be creative. Another way is like in our, our next one, we're actually developing a custom customer advisory board and we're going to have those customers like five or six Ooh. clients come to the, the very, the you're doing an advisory board. board. That's yeah. awesome. Doing oh, wow. Board. That way they can hang out with the team for the dinner at the end of the day, the, the team leaves and then it's the directors are there and asking questions and, and, and figuring how we can improve things. So, uh, yeah, we're having our first advisory board meeting following a team retreat. So we're, we're adding on there, trying to save costs and save time for our team. Well, it's investing the money in something like that, too, because that's got to be like, how do you decide first? How do you decide which customers to have on? But then also, how do you handle like so you're going to they're paying you. And mm-hmm. now you're going to pay for them to travel or to do certain yep. things too. Mm-hmm. Like, would you just give them a discount or do you just pay for it out, outright? Like, well, how does that? I'm just uh, paying for them to, to be there. So I'm yeah. paying for them to, you know, be at, in, in this is going to be the next one is in St. Louis, in St. Louis, put them up in the hotel, you know, and then just take care of it. And we're, we're thinking about just giving them a, a one month free service just you know for helping us out providing that that level of insight that we're hoping that we we knew but we will definitely find out once we have the advisory board oh that's awesome so Mm -hmm. give me some practical like uh, the advisory board how many customer how many customers and how did you choose them yeah so we have eight of them and we we decided to choose them and the the first one's going to be strictly in our vertical so it's going to be creative agency vertical and so we picked eight clients varying sizes and varying engagement levels. So we've got some folks that we meet with on a monthly basis, you know, one to two times a month with our control level. Half of those are in that level. And then half of them are in our CFO level. We're meeting with them on a weekly basis. And then again, varying degrees of revenue. Are we taking care of that $20 million firm equally as we're taking care of the $1 million firm? You know, we're, So we want to look at all the different, different areas that we could have holes in it. And, uh, you know, we, we just simply pick clients, new clients and old clients. We combined them both. We didn't want to pick eight of our number one clients. You know, that doesn't make sense because they're going to tell you, you know, they're going to tell you you're great, <laughs> you know, because, yeah. you know, you are. So we picked new clients as well as old. So new, medium and old. So we went through and uh, really pinpointed the ones. And the, and the cool thing about it is we asked eight clients, all eight said, absolutely. Of course. Mm-hmm. So what you've done is you're going to be changing their lives too. I always say zero changed my life in so mm-hmm. many ways. I, without zero, I wouldn't be doing the show or wouldn't be doing a lot of things that I'm doing. Changed my firm, mm-hmm. the onset of the cloud. They invited me to their partner advisor council. It's the first one I've ever been on. I didn't really know what it was, but I was excited about it. And I met a lot of other firm owners. And that's what these creative agencies they're going to do is they're going to be able to meet and get close to other they're going to form bonds and they're going to realize, you know, how much they have in common with each other too. And mm-hmm. so not only are they helping you, but you're helping them create strong bonds and Absolutely. friendships that they're going to probably take with them outside of that too. That was amazing for me. That was, I met some of my core group of friends that are still, that we still all hang out and we see each other all the time now, but it was only because of zero bringing all of us together. That's sort of what you're doing there in a really cool way like you know that's that's a big unlock when you start to meet more people in your industry and in your profession i could say that for any accountant going to conferences is huge and getting that group of peers that you could you know did you see as did you see as peers and not as competition it used to be when things were very locally driven geographically everybody in your local area you're not going to meet up with them they're your competition you're fighting for clients so it, it's a whole different mindset when it comes to mm-hmm. growth and it comes to running 
a practice uh, and, and you've seen that you saw that early stages yep and change the game like change change changing the accounting game mm-hmm. um I, I you know we're, we're trying to distill everything that makes running a practice different th- now than it was before and every time i try to think of those differences it, it's things that you did at summit that were unproven and slowly like they become proven and they seem i i would think that for you it all seemed like common sense like why are we not doing it this way there's right. got to be a better way why why are all the firms doing it this way and and maybe did you feel like were you missing something like why aren't why isn't anybody else doing it this way like when you find out that new way do you it, feel like well is this am i am i wrong it, it was amazing you know scotty when I, we, we've been doing it for a long time right and so i thought you know what why are no, why are, why do I go to these conferences and they talk about, hey, this is going to be what's going to happen down the road? And it's like, well, we've been doing this for like 10 years. Why we mean down the road? And so I thought, well, let me start talking at conferences. You know, let me start speaking. And I started speaking at conferences. I'd have a ton of folks show up at the at the conferences. We'd go through everything. People, I'd have lines afterward. People are coming and talking to me. And, and the, the, the thing they would always say is, wow, that is super cool, but that would never work for us. And then they would give like 10 different reasons. I'm like, yeah, you're right. That that would not work for you <laughs> because you've got to be able to accept change. And, and accountants hate change. That's the whole problem there. That's the whole crux of things is that, you know, there, there's no pain in what they're doing now. They're billing by the hour. They're doing all the all the stuff that I'm like, why would you ever do that? Because there's no pain in it. But once yeah. there's pain, that's when they'll start making that change and not until. And the pandemic was, was pain. You know, it, it forced clients to think, you know, hey, maybe this remote thing does work. After, you know, after we were, of course, the only firm in the world that, this would actually work for, <laughs> you know, everyone's, everyone's like, no, maybe it does work. Cause they were forced into that situation where they had to figure it out. And uh, that's going to happen sooner than later with, with chat GPT and AI and all that kind of stuff. They're going to have to make some hard decisions pretty quickly. And I hope they make the right decisions. And, and, and if they do, that's going to be a, a very big reward for them. Yeah. You touched on some important points. I've said this a lot, the pains of the present, for an accountant have to be greater than the perceived pains of change. Like mm-hmm. everybody's afraid our, our behavioral drivers, mm-hmm. the, the desire to avoid pain and to seek pleasure. And that the one to avoid pain always comes first. And we're always avoiding change and avoiding all of this like scary stuff because we think it's going to be painful. And a lot of people are content with mild pains in, you know, they'll just take, take a Tylenol or an Advil, it's, you know, that, that's the analogy and they can get through it, right? Like as long as they can do this and they, you know, they find, they find ways to not really treat the problem and to go into the change. And that's the hardest part is accepting that change is hard. It's, it's very hard. I've been going through a lot of it the past couple of years. I've had an ex- existential change, you know, in my whole life. And that's been difficult being on the other side of it is a breath of fresh air and you said this on the last episode too was you prescribe and show people exactly what to do step by step on how to make these changes and you've been doing it you created courses and you've created ways for people to do it yet they still don't as much as they may want their hand to be hold once it gets comes down to actually making the change they're too afraid to do it and they would rather put their you know go back to their office and just get the work done and then all of a sudden like they feel relieved like that they don't have to change mm-hmm. well they try to justify the, their initial thought right their initial thought was hey i'm doing it right 
And so they look for ways to, to justify that. You know, it's like, oh, they do that. Oh, that's why it's not going to work for me. And they don't do it. Or, you know, hey, I'll do that down the road. And then down the road never comes. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it, they just need to, you know, set their mind and actually do it and, and accept it and, and really work towards it. You know, it's just like any obstacle, right? You know, the bigger the obstacle, the harder it is to get around it. And, and you want to make those obstacles small. Ha- have have cash in the bank in order to make make the change. Ha- you know, do do different things. You know, whatever your reason is for not not making that change, figure out a reason how I can accomplish that, not just accept it. And, and that's what we did all the way throughout. You know, Scott, I, I wish I could say that I invented all this stuff, but I invented zero of it. I just took somebody else's idea and and, and took and went with it. That's what made us successful. Is that able to take that risk and we got rid of the hourly bill you know because i we need to figure out how to, not to be the bank anymore i didn't want accounts receivable you know i was right. a 10 million dollar firm and i didn't want to have ar you know at that point i was a million dollar firm or six hundred thousand, but i couldn't afford it because I, I didn't have deep pockets and so i was like how do i figure this out do i just continue on tread through it bill like crazy and then you know and, and then just eventually be where i'm at with millions of dollars no i tried to figure out a way we could do it and that's where the subscription-based billing came from in, in 2007. You know, so we built a $10 million firm with no AR, no WIC. Yeah. Kind of cool. And, yeah, uh, you know, kind huge, of. Yeah, <laughs> kind of cool. It's big time. My Monday, like I told, told you last night, Monday is my favorite day of the week because that's when we collect all of our fees for the week. We we bill weekly. We don't even bill. We just zap their bank account every Monday, you know, for that same flat fee. And clients love it. We love it. it, it just It's a great win-win for everyone. Yeah. So your day to day, I mean, you say you love Mondays now. Mm-hmm. What does your day to day look like now that app, you know you've been acquired? Has anything changed? And yeah, yeah. that's a great so question. Like Nothing has really changed. So you know, every every position that I've had first was you know, hey, I'm going to be the CFO for clients. I was that for a while. How can I get rid of that? So I I I, I figured out a way to d- uh, offload my responsibilities mm-hmm. to clients. So I I'm not working with clients. I haven't been for like the last probably six seven years. And probably even longer than that. Then it was like marketing was my next baby. It was like, I love marketing. I love because we do a lot of content marketing. I just sure. love overseeing it. And, and then I gave that away to a person that's highly more qualified than me. And she's running with it and doing great. My, my last one was sales, business development. I thought, you know what? There was no way we're going to get that $50 million if I have somebody else come in and, and, and close deals, right? Because I'm the best, right? You're the best. You know, we always think that, right? And of course, I had, we've got a business development, right? We brought in and, and she did a phenomenal job. She's like, wow. I, I was so, I, I sat and listened to it. And I thought, I guess I'm not the best. This, this She's the best. <laughs> so I'm going to have her do it. And, and that's the last responsibility that I've that I'm giving off on major areas of the company. So my, my duties right now, you know, they've gone from being in the weeds to owning each of the different divisions to now just overseeing things, becoming that, you know, make going out and, and promoting what we're doing, going to the different conferences and speaking, you know, all of that. that. That's more my job right now. And my job is to make sure those verticals really pick up and go. And so we've got plans for all the verticals to be thought leaders and really kind of help help the vertical teams, you know, be successful. And so, you know, the overall revenue growth of the company is my, or actually our department, I guess, as you want to call it, is my number one focus. And, you know, if, if we succeed or fail, it's going to be because of that, really pushing that, putting the time into making sure that we go from 10 million to 50 million. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you're doing all of the logical things, right? Like these, this is, again, nothing's unique. But it's the way that you put it together what makes it unique. The fact that you're wearing the Hawaiian shirts, you know, in that context. It's always contextual. And the way that you're doing it, you know, you're 
it's not almost like you're not taking huge risks, things that may seem risky or perceived to be risky, but just seeing that it's proven out in other mm-hmm. areas. Right. You know, th- this partner advisor council, like that you're doing software companies have done that. Other companies have done that. I've yep. never heard of an accounting firm doing it, but it's a, it's logical. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it's an investment. You're going to be spending money on it, but you yep. see that long tail of it. And mm-hmm. you've already gone through periods of, no margins of losing money right. to see that it is hard to change and to go through it, but to have the fortitude and to be able to push through the hard times because you have those reserves is great. And you've gotten out of your own way too. And I think that's one thing that a lot of entrepreneurs or business owners, firm owners, we have that problem. I've always gotten in my own way. And in order to get out of those processes, you realize there are other people that can do this and on the onset, they may not do as good of a job as you, or they may do a better job once you really get out of the way. Right. That's what I'm finding at my firm. On a much smaller scale, I've got myself out of any of the production work, any of the review, and then any of the sales and marketing. And now I just do this podcast and I do the raps and stuff. And you know, I haven't even, I haven't even made, made all the hard changes. We haven't even picked an industry vertical yet. I think we're going to go software. Mm -hmm. at the firm and i think we've started to land on that but we've been talking about this for four or five years and still haven't picked anything and taken that big step you know we started to try to do that and then always hit a roadblock along the way and i don't even push through so that's the next frontier for me at least but this is awesome could keep going on talking forever but i like to keep these shorter now and less rambly people listen to the full episode of some around an hour so um, tell the audience what, what you got coming up next or what's what are you excited about next, like in the pipeline with Anders and Summit? Uh, yeah, with Anders, you know, we're looking to, like I said, get to that $50 million mark. So we're having our quarterly, we have quarterly director meetings, making sure that we're on pace, making sure we're doing the rocks that we need to overturn and, and, and really focus on that. So it's been, it's been an exciting, you know, it's been an exciting year and a half since, uh, since the merger is going extremely well next three and a half years, getting that 50 million is going to be exciting. And then the, the voyage after that is, do I want to continue on or do I want to do something different right now? I'm, I'm are you pumped. there for a hundred million or I, are you going to have that's, to dip that's, out? That's yeah. my thought. You know, it's like when I get that $50 million, it, oh, it's happened all along, you know, Hey, let's get to a million. We're going to be perfect. 10 million, let's get to 5 million. That, it's yeah. going to be great. 10 million is like, Oh yeah, we're going to, everything's going to be perfect at 10 million. Then it's like, well, let's get to 20 million. Now, now it's going to be 50. Then it'll probably be a hundred. And, uh, I, I would love to see, I would love to be part of that, getting into a hundred million dollar company. That would be, that'd be pretty sweet. And, it, and I think this it's, is the summit arm of Anders. What is correct. Anders as a whole? Where are they yeah, at? So Anders as a whole prior to the merger is right around 60 million. And okay. with summit, we brought on probably another 12 million, uh, added to that. Now we're pacing about 15 million for, you know, for this year. So, the, the idea is that we will actually be the biggest arm of Anders. Uh, right. The CFO side will, well, in my opinion, will will be the largest division or largest service line that Anders has uh, within well, the next three years. And you're going to be creating octopus arms of other strong, other industry verticals too. So then yep. you could say all of those are offsets or offspring of summit with different verticals because you're using that same you're scaling that same system that you had at your firm yeah and keep in mind all the extra stuff like you know that anders does like valuations you name it that they do it you know look at all the things that we were outsourcing to other folks that we can bring in house and and really help even that even you know 
implode even more. Well, yeah, right there. That right there brings your revenue up already naturally because of the extra service offerings and, you know, increases the margins because you're not outsourcing it really. It's still part mm-hmm. of the same operation. And that's huge. What did you end up doing with the um, a workers' comp audits or what was the audits that you guys were doing? Yeah, we did 401k audits. So that was, one of the, that was the experiment. We're like, hey, can we do, you know, someone said, oh, you're, you can't do this with anything but virtual CFO. We're like, well, let's try something different. <laughs> and yeah. so we, we did the 401k. We started with one and we uh, ended up selling that as a unit to Anders. And we had, I think, about 150 to 200 audits it, within the four years that we started, five years we were doing it. So we, we blew that up too. And it was the fortunate thing is Anders specializes in benefit plan audits too. So it, it almost doubled their practice in the, just with, you know, just like that in the benefit plan audit. And the engine was going well with that. We're picking up 30 a year and they're continuing on with that process. So it's super exciting to see that uh, being so successful. And uh, it was just one of those other things that, you know, Hey, can you do it? You know, can, can you do it in tax? Can you do it in audit? Can you do it in all these different things? Yeah, you can do exactly what we're doing. You just have to kind of be creative and figure out a way to make it happen. Well, and you reverse engineered a lot of stuff too. And it's so poetic that you work with creatives because you're creative in the sense of everything you were doing as an entrepreneur. And you've afforded yourself to create your own lane in a way and also make your own decisions and start, you know, it's almost like you started with the end in mind. You knew what the, what you wanted it to look like, what the outcome was, and you designed your life and your firm around that. So now it's like, you know, this is what we've said a lot on the show. Like you can have your cake and eat it too. You can have everything your way. It's going to take a lot of time and it takes a lot of intention and you're going to have to be different in a lot of those ways too, because being you and being you is unique. Like you're, you've been yourself all throughout this whole journey and you've kind of stuck with what you've, what you've wanted to do. Even when it gets hard, you still push through it because you see the end, you see the long game. And we were fortunate with the merger that Anders ended up being the the quality firm. But they said yes to everything that you wanted because you had that in mind. You said, if we ever are going to do merger, I'm sure you said that. If we ever are going to do something, it's got to be on our terms and it's got to be this way. And if they say no to any of these things, we're just not going to entertain it. And you got to the point where somebody said yes to everything, Mm -hmm. every list of like demands that you had. They were like, yes, this all seems too good to be true for them. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like, it has been. Yeah, it's been great for both of us. You know, it definitely wasn't one-sided in any means. You know, it was, it was a two-sided deal. It was perfectly what they were looking for. It was exactly what we weren't even looking, but it, it, it just, it was exactly, it worked out exactly perfectly for us. And the leadership is awesome. You know, they've held true to everything they've said and uh, definitely a solid firm. So we made the right choice for sure uh, in, in doing so. And with that together, as one combined firm, we're going to really blow things away, I think, yeah. uh, going forward. You're going to change. You're going to continue to change the way mm-hmm. you, we wrap, the way we run a practice. And it's like it, it seems so logical after the fact. When I heard you guys got acquired, I, I immediately, like it, during that time, at least, I was always thinking like tech companies are going to start acquiring firms or, or this whole the private equity or the VC. Like I thought we were going to start seeing more of that. And we did kind of see that, you know, you got the pilot type stuff out there, but this was a logical move. This was a traditional geographically geographical firm that then acquired what we were calling cloud firms. I don't even know if we call it a cloud firm anymore. It's just wrapping. It's running a practice now differently and you've done it and it seemed it makes sense. What are your thoughts, I guess on, so 
private equity and um, the VC type stuff. What's your uh, what's your thoughts on that? Because we we are seeing some of that too. Yeah, that's tough. We 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 shied away from it. They they did come to us. You know, we've had several of them come to us and and give these great opportunities. The problem is we just we we, I, we just it, it just wasn't. We didn't need the cash. We didn't need the capital. Sure. You know, we, we didn't we didn't need what they're offering. You know, what we're looking for, and if we're ever going to merge, we're looking for that exit down the road. And uh, that exit down the road really wasn't there for them. It was more, how can we buy another firm? How can we right. grow this? How can we do that? And so it's you like, had a position I, of power because money is power. Exactly. When you have that cash, and that's what you preach, the cash reserves. I would always say this. Yep. I, I would tell, you know, if you have the cash, you can afford to make decisions and you can afford to make bigger mistakes too. Yep. In some ways. And we made or, plenty of them. <laughs> sure, sure. As Dave Barrett says, they're lessons along the way. They're not really mistakes. He doesn't see anything exactly. as a failure or a mistake. He sees it as a, just a, a stepping stone to get to way. the end, right? It's just another um, rock to overcome. Yep. But yeah, position of power. When you when you do that, you're not reacting. This was a this was a situation where you guys created an outcome that's bigger with the some of the some of its parts. And both parties win. And yep. I know that Matthew May at Acuity and Kenji they've talked about that too. The way that they approach their deals, they've made mistakes along the way. They're another firm that's doing things differently that have, have approached things with trying to have the end in mind and making sure anybody benefits from a larger transaction like this. So their mm-hmm. last merger was kind of the same way. Um, mm-hmm. It was really dope. I uh, appreciate you coming on and talking about this stuff. This yeah, is, it's been fun, Scotty. Yeah, this is exciting. We're going to keep writing this book, so I'm going to have you on again and as we evolve this whole concept of idea of running a practice because you're one of the top contributors because you're doing it in real life. It's awesome. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, appreciate you, Jody. Class dismissed.